The mission of Heritage Christian University is simple. They aim to advance the churches of Christ by equipping servants through undergraduate and graduate programs. Heritage Christian University produces effective communicators of the gospel, focusing on evangelism and a commitment to scripture. Heritage Christian University is accredited by the Association for Biblical Higher Education and offers the following degrees. Associate of Arts in Biblical Studies, Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies, Master of Arts, Master of Ministry, and Master of Divinity. Since 1968, Heritage Christian University, formerly International Bible College, has offered affordable degrees in Biblical Studies, allowing graduates to thrive in their ministries without the burden of loan debt after graduation. For more information about Heritage Christian University, visit www.hcu.edu, that's three W's and a dot, hcu.edu. Heritage Christian University is a sponsor of Keeping Up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. TKM Incorporated in Moss, Tennessee is a construction company that specializes in erosion control, seeding, and soil, hydro seeding, hydro mulch, minor excavation, and silt fence. They also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their business is keeping people safe, but their passion, their mission, is they wish that all men could be saved. TKM has adopted the nickname, The King's Men, because as they serve you, they also serve the King. If they could provide any of their services for you, please contact them at 931-243-3958. That is 931-243-3958. Or you can contact them on the net at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. TKM Incorporated is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. It was after Lonnie Beth had been born because we had a video camera. And I remember taking this video camera on this trip. It was myself and a young man that I had worked with in the youth group since he was about in the seventh grade. Uh, We had climbed together. We'd endured lots of things together. He was a student of mine, but he'd also matured and become a friend of mine. And I'd been asked for the first time ever in my life to do a professional guiding trip. It was the first time ever I was going to do something outside of youth ministry that was experiential education. This uh, group out of Kentucky had seen me do a demonstration at at a program called Uplift. And I'd suspended my ropes from the rafters of the new gym at Harding University and given a demonstration uh, using climbing and, the, and those principles. And this guy had said, hey, I want you to come to my, my retreat in the fall, and I want you to do uh, a rappelling trip with our students. And I'd never done anything like this before. I'd taken lots of people rappelling. I'd been climbing. I had probably by this time in my life uh, had probably had you know hundreds of people uh, exposed to their first time on rope. But this was going to be an official Hey, I'm taking your group out and I'm guiding them through this exercise and then we're going to debrief it and we're going to build all the lessons of the weekend around this thing. Now, you've heard me refer to my Kentucky trip and this is my first trip to Kentucky. And now I love the state of Kentucky. I've been in Kentucky many, many times. I've hunted in Kentucky. I've got good friends in Kentucky. This was my first time in Kentucky. 
this has no reflection on on my other subsequent trips to Kentucky, but this is that trip. And I won't tell you the whole trip, but but there's pieces of it. So so the deal was, hey, we're going to meet you at this camp, and this camp is going to be our base of operation, and you're going to take my youth group repelling. And so in order to do this and do it safely, uh, I had uh, asked this young man, uh, Jerry Tanner, to go with me. And in, and in those days, you know, Jerry had just become a Christian. He was a young student. He's probably 17 or 18. I think, you know, he could drive. And uh, I, I'd climbed with him a lot. And so I said, hey, look, I'm going to go do this thing with these people. And I'm going to need a person on the top to, to rig everybody up and, and properly attach their gear and then send them to the bottom. And then you'll be that person who works as the bottom belayer, and you'll also be in charge of the fall zone. And so that, you know, if any brush or any rocks gets kicked off or whatever, you'll be my bottom safety. And, and so he'd agreed to go with me. And so, you know, we pack up in my Isuzu Amigo. This is in the days before the tactical Toyota. And so we hopped in the Isuzu Amigo and, and headed to Kentucky. Now, this is before the days of Siri, and you don't have Google Maps and this is handwritten directions that you get via a telephone because computers weren't prominent in those days. We go driving out across, and, and this is extreme eastern Kentucky. And, and there's, there's not a, a lot I can tell you unless you've been to extreme eastern Kentucky to describe extreme eastern Kentucky. We show up where we thought we were supposed to be on, on a Thursday night, and we drive in after dark to this camp. It's a 4-H camp. And there's a note waiting on us. The lady who directs the camp says, this note is from the group you're meeting. It says, hey, we're not coming until Friday night. You have tomorrow to find a place for us to repel. Now, in, in my mind, this, this person had picked this location because it, was, it, it had a place to repel. Well, you just don't walk out into the woods and go, hey, we're going to repel there. I've spent lots of my time walking around looking for prominent cliffs that don't exist. And so here we are, stuck at this camp, freezing cold weather. And the next day, we've got to get up, and, and we've got to find a place to... So so, so we find this uh, topographical map of parts of the Daniel Boone National Forest. And, and the young man I was with had done some surveying, and his dad was, was quite an outdoorsman. And so we start looking at this topographical map on this public access land, and we find, you know, where the, the lines on that map are close enough together that it looks like there may be something vertical. So we start asking locals, hey, we're looking for a place, you know, some, some sheer rock. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a place called the Bee Rock. I don't know how many places have Bee Rocks in them, and I may do an entire podcast on the places called Bee Rock. So, so we get this map. And we go head out to the Daniel Boone National Forest. Well, the pr first place we stop is, is at the ranger station. And so we're looking at the map and asking about B-Rock. And the guy finally says, well, what are you boys going to do? I said, we're going to do some climbing and maybe even some, some rappelling. And he goes, no, I can't help you boys with that. You'll just get yourselves hurt. I'm not going to tell you where nothing is. Now, this is a park ranger in Kentucky who won't tell us where the things in the Daniel Boone National Park are because he's afraid we're going to get ourselves hurt. So we go off on our own in search of, of, of a place to repel. It's cold. It's drizzly rain. It's muddy. And we just start busting the brush. We walk up this old dirt road. We get off-road onto this trail. And again, you know, we don't have a satellite GPS. We don't have a phone that has any kind of information on us. We don't even have a phone. They don't exist at this time. But we actually find this prominent little cliff. 
and we go to the top of it and, and we check it out and we even do some test drops on it and, and we establish, you know, hey, this will be our safety zone. Nobody gets past this line. And on the bottom, the people that are watching, you know, can't get inside this perimeter. And, and you know, we, we take this thing that, that could be a, a debacle and turn it into something that's usable. So now all we've got to do is go back to camp and, and, and wait for the group to arrive. And then on Saturday, we'll take them out for this experience. And so we get back in into civilization, and instead of going out to the 4-H camp, we decide we're just going to stop at this little restaurant and get a really, really nice meal. And then we can spend the night in this uh, unheated 4-H camp waiting on this group to arrive. So we walk into this little Ryan's. It's not really a Ryan's, but that'll give you the idea of what the kind of steakhouse it was. And we're muddy. We're wet. We're cold. We're tired. We sit down, the waitress comes, she takes her order, we, we, you know, we order our supper. And I lean back in the booth, and this young man leans back in the booth, but he turns sideways and leans against the partition that divides, you know, our booth from the rest of the restaurant and stretches his feet out. And this is a young man, he's, he's lightly built, he's, you know, probably uh, close to six foot tall, might weigh 155 pounds, he's got a very fashionable haircut, he's got a mullet kind of like the one Patrick Swayze wore in Roadhouse, it's not, you know, your typical, what I call your nasty redneck mullet, you know, it's not a Tennessee top hat or a Kentucky waterfall, this is, you know, kind of a coiffed haircut. And uh, he has very sharp features, looks a lot like Johnny Depp in the, in the younger days. And, and we're sitting at the restaurant and we're sipping on our Cokes and we're waiting for our, you know, waitress to come by and refill some things. And our, our food gets there and we're eating, you know, our, our food. And then all of a sudden this voice in the restaurant, you know, hey, get your feet off that booth. Well, if you have this disembodied voice yelling in a restaurant you you really don't know what to do so the first thing we did was kind of look around and then the voice comes with a body you can see this guy at a table and he's yeah i'm talking to you get your feet out of that booth your mama don't work here well the young man turns puts his feet flat on the floor he looks across the table at me and he's got this infectious grin and he grins at me and i'm thinking yeah this just happened well, then all of a sudden there's this jostling of, of silverware and plates on the table. And I look up and, and, and this guy's standing at our booth and his hands are flat on the table and he's yelling at this kid. Now, now this young man, you know, can be troublesome. He's, he's done some amazing things. He invented community watch football. Uh, I, I was in a Hardee's with him one time when he was really, really young and a guy dressed in a motorcycle outfit, you know, grabbed uh, his, his bag of Hardy's food and was walking out the door. Like, you know, he was a bad dude and he pushes the door and the door vibrates and he pushes the door and the door vibrates. And, and then he steps back and he looks at it and he realizes you're supposed to pull the door. <laughs> and, and, and Jerry goes, yeah, it's hard to be bad when you're stupid. And I thought I was going to have to fight that guy there, but, but Jerry's done nothing. Hey, we walked in this restaurant, we ordered our food, we sat down, and, and, and he turned sideways because he's exhausted. And now this guy's standing at our table, and he says, you think something funny, boy? Your mama don't work here, she's not going to clean that booth out for you. And this young man's in my care. And it's, it's my job, even if he's at fault at this point, to protect him, and he's not at fault, he's done nothing wrong. And I look at this gentleman and I say, sir, this, this young man, you know, moved his feet out of the seat and he, they're on the floor. He goes, 
shut up, I'm not talking to you. And he goes back to this kid and he starts to, to lecture him again. And, and, and I said, well, sir, you know, I, I think what you need to understand is that whatever your problem is, you ask him to move his feet, he's moved his feet. And, and, you know, before we leave, we'll wipe out the booth if you want us to. He looked at me again and said, are you as stupid as you look? I told you I'm not talking to you. My left hand had a steak knife in it, and it was below the table, and it was now held backwards, pointing at this guy's inner thigh. And my right hand had loosely ramped around the edge of my plate. And I was either going to stick it in his throat or break it over the top of his head. And, and, and I looked at Jerry, and I said, Jerry, is this going to be the third time I've asked this guy to leave? <laughs> and Jerry, in, in his apropos method, looks at me and grins and goes, yep. It'll be the third time, and I hope you don't cripple this one like you did that last one. Well, then the guy steps back, and he looks at me. He goes, what is that supposed to mean? I said, sir, what that means is that uh, I've asked you twice to leave us alone, and I'm going to eat this steak, and then I'm going to go out to the parking lot and get in my vehicle and drive wherever it is I'm supposed to be tonight. Now, whether or not you finish your meal and whether or not you walk out of this place or carried out of this place depends on what you do in the next three seconds. Three, two, and it worked. <laughs> he backed off. He shuffled step backwards, growled something under his breath, and, and, and went back to sit down. I, I'm, I'm not sure what Captain Appalachia had planned. I'm not sure why we were the guys he was going to pick on, but it happened. Now, the reason I tell you this story is because on the other side of the room, when he's sitting at that table and he's yelling, he's not a problem. He's just an illiterate, ignorant bully. But when he's standing at my table, looming over this young man, he's either a serious threat or just a statistic. But the proximity change the intensity. So you can sit on the other side of the room and yell at me all you want to, and you're not really a problem. But when you stand in my space, and you're close enough for the distance required for touching, then there's, there's, there's a change in the intensity. And the proximity equals the intensity. You know, if you're standing you want to talk about talking about, you know, watching a wreck. If you see an, a wreck happen on TV, whether it's a car or a motorcycle or a train, and you watch it on TV, it has the potential to affect you. If you're standing on the street corner or standing at the railroad crossing and you watch that wreck in person, it has some potential to affect you. If you're sitting in the car that was hit or riding the motorcycle that was slid or you're at the intersection when you watch those cars get hit by a train, the, the proximity equals the intensity. In other words, how close you are affects how much effect it, it has on you. We, we do this thing, my, uh, my good friend Ben Hayes, when he was working under my license, uh, getting his uh, license as a therapist, we would often do trauma work together. And, and one of the things he liked to do is he liked to take a piece of paper and he'd write the word event on it. And the event could be whatever, the accident, the abuse, the death, the divorce, the confrontation, the con whatever it is that was disturbing somebody, you know, we would represent that with the idea of the event. And then Ben would take the word event and, and hold it close to the person's face. And he would ask, hey, what can you see here? And obviously the only thing they could see was the event. 
Well, as Ben began to back up in the room, he would take a few steps back, say, now what can you see? Well, I still see the event, but I see your hands, and I see your, your chest, and I see your face. And then Ben would back up. Well, what else do you see? Well, now I see you. I see your legs. I see your hands, your face. I still see the event, but I can see the things in the room. I can see the, the certificates on the wall. I can see the pictures. I can see the things on the shelves. And, and the further away you get from the event, the less prominence it has. You could take that word event and put it on a bookshelf, and you can pick the event out on the bookshelf, but there's all the decorations, there's all the toys, there's all the books, there's all the things that go with the bookshelf. Now, just because you've got distance from the event doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. Just because you've got distance from the event does, doesn't mean that it got actually any smaller. But what happened is it puts it in the proper proportion. It, it, it became less prominent. As you get further away from the event, it doesn't actually change the size of the event, but it changes our focus on the event as we get further away from it. Proximity equals intensity. You know, this event, you can take that word event and put it on your shelf, and it doesn't make it smaller. It doesn't make it less painful. It doesn't make it less traumatic. It doesn't make it less impactful. But what the proximity does is, is put it in the proper proportion. And it doesn't cease to exist. It just ceases to become as prominent. When you look at an event like that, and, and you give it some distance, and, and any time there's a painful event, or a grief event, or a scary event, or a frightening event, or a harmful event, Proper treatment of, of trauma is not necessarily to act as if it didn't happen because you can't make it unhappen. You can't make it not happen. But it seems to me that the modern approach to trauma is that we've made trauma the focus and everybody who's ever had trauma is supposed to tell everybody else that they've had trauma and trauma becomes your identity. Well, well trauma is just a part of trauma is just one thing on your shelf. Trauma is just one thing in the room. Trauma is just one thing that you can see in giving it the proper perspective and giving it the proper proportion will change the way we respond to trauma. Now, nobody's saying that, that you shouldn't be traumatized. You know, you, you don't get to pick what, what's traumatic for you. I don't get to pick what's traumatic for me. But there is some idea that you can choose whether or not it's the only thing you look at it, it, it's the only thing you think about. It's the only thing you put on your shelf. Because in truth, you've got other stuff on your shelf. You've got other stuff in your life. Your, your trauma exists. But it's not your life. It's not your identity. It's not your existence. It's part of your life. But it is not your life. Proximity equals intensity, and the further away we get from these events, we can change our focus to the other things that exist in our lives before the event, after the event, or the things around the event. Yeah, we all have an event. We all have multiple events. They are in my life. They are on my shelf. But the way to properly deal with it is to put it in the proper proximity and then it takes on the proper proportion. So nobody says we ignore trauma. Nobody says we discount it. Nobody says we dismiss it. Nobody says we deny it. Nobody says we disapprove of it. It's just recognizing the distance that it was away from us. It 
it exists. It, it's on our shelf, but it's not the only thing on our shelf. In fact, it exists, but how far away are we from it? It happened, but it's far away in your past. It, it happened. It's not happening now. It's, it's not happening today. And recognizing that the proximity we assign to that, and, and, and so many, many times when we're damaged by trauma, we fail to put it in the proper perspective and we fail to have it in the proper proportion because we fail to recognize the, the proper proximity. That just because it has happened doesn't mean it is happening. And being able to see it on the shelf in context with all the other things that have happened in our lives allows us to give it its proper place, its proper perspective, and its proper proportion. SJL General Contractor specializes in asphalt, demolition, concrete finishing, and heavy hauling. This family-owned business is licensed in Alabama and Tennessee. You can contact them for any of your construction needs, 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660 or three W's and a dot sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Using the tool of shortwave radio, World Christian Broadcasting literally covers the world every day with the gospel. They use two large curtain antennas. One is located in Anchor Point, Alaska, and the other in Madagascar. They send out messages that are recorded at their international home in Franklin, Tennessee. They make available 40 hours of broadcast every day. The broadcasts are made in English, Chinese, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Korean, English for Africa, and Arabic. They would love for your group to visit them. You can bring your ladies group, your youth group, or your men's group. Just give them a call at 615-371-8707, 615-371-8707, or you can go to three W's and a dot worldchristian.org, find the donate here button, and make a financial contribution to support this work that literally covers the world every day with the gospel. World Christian Broadcasting, in cooperation with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. I'm your host, Lonnie Jones. And the adventure part is basically just our experiences. And some of those experiences are as mundane as growing up, being married, being a young married couple with a kid, or being a middle-aged couple with grandkids. Some of the experiences will be my adventures as an outdoorsman, a rock climber, a fisherman, a hunter, or my experiences as a police chaplain who's been assigned to a SWAT team for over 30 years. Some of that adventure may even boil down to the idea that there's a belief that I'm a chaotic Jedi. <laughs> Either way, we'll take the experiences or the adventures and we'll talk about the facts, 
the facts will lead to concepts and the concepts lead to application. Basically, it will be anecdotal wisdom. One cautionary word about the facts is we will tell you the facts just as they happened, but sometimes we'll tell you the facts the way we remember them happening, and sometimes we'll tell you the facts the way we've heard other people tell us the way they remember them happening. In any occasion, it's not an attempt to deceive. There'll be a little bit of embellishment, and it's an all good, clean fun and for learning purposes only. Thank you for keeping up with Jones. Thank you.